Welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio, the only show that takes a look at the obstacles and opportunities open to small to mid-sized enterprises that manufacture here in America. Brought to you by All Metals and Forge Group, with your hosts, Tim Grady and Lou Wise. Welcome, everyone, to Manufacturing Talk Radio. We're glad to have you with us on this Tuesday as we talk about aerospace in the southeast, our part two of a four-part series where we will bounce around the country and take a look at how aerospace is doing, a booming industry, and particularly booming in the state of Georgia, which we're going to talk about today as we talk about the southeast. But before we get to our guest, which we're very pleased to have on the show today, Lou, I'd like to go to you, my co-host. And by the way, thank you for being our sponsor with All Metals and Forge Group and find out what's happening in the news. Uh, thank you, Tim, and good, good afternoon to everyone. Uh, I want to talk uh, about a postscript of our last week's show. Uh, every month at the beginning of the month, our first uh, show is uh, with Brad Holcomb, who is the chair of the Institute of Supply Management, who puts out the report on business. And we also had a special guest with him, Dr. Ray Perryman, CEO and president of Perryman Group, who is a global uh, economist and financial person who knows an awful lot about money all over the world. Uh, So we had a great show with them. And uh, I strongly recommend that uh, you go to mfgtalkradio.com and listen to previous shows, and uh, you can listen for yourself uh, some very intelligent commentary. Um, I'd like to talk about uh, the news, a couple of news items. Uh, Over the last several months, we've been talking about the uh, L.A. port issue and what a devastating experience that's been. Uh, it's almost over, uh, even though the vote doesn't happen till May 22nd, and the members of the union still don't know what's in the agreement. They don't know what, how much money, how much more money they're going to be getting. But in between then and now, it seems as though that the Federal Maritime Commission has issued a 64-page report on demerge, detention, and free time. 64 pages about that, and it seems as though that they are inferring that the owners at the ports may be charging importers and exporters uh, exacerbated overcharges. Uh, 64 pages to me, it sounds like the next scandal in Washington. Uh, So that being said, At the end of this show, if you would like, uh, listen to this show. And at the bottom of our player, there will be a resource button that will say uh, Demerge, Detention, and Free Time. And you can click on that, and you can see and print out that entire 64 pages if you care to be totally bored to death. It's the first couple of pages that uh, really... (laughs) Really hang the port people, but uh, it's in, in uh, oh, matter of fact, my engineer points out that it is there now. So if you go to mfgtalkradio.com and go to uh, previous show, which is actually this show, at the bottom you'll see a link and you can click on it and print out that report. 
one other uh, tidbit. Uh, this is interesting because it's sort of aerospace. Amazon got their FAA approval for drone delivery testing this week. <laughs> the drone manufacturers, I think we're going to wow. have to have them on the show soon uh, with their little planes and their little engines. Uh, but uh, there are some restrictions, of course, and that is that the drones cannot fly higher than 400 feet and no faster than 100 miles an hour. The FAA seems to feel that getting hit by a drone at 100 miles an hour is still survivable. So that being said, uh, Tim, back to you. That's some great stuff, Lou. Uh, yeah, the drone experience should be real interesting. Good luck getting over the Rocky Mountains. And we're very pleased to have our two guests here today to talk about aerospace in the southeast, and in particular in the state of Georgia, uh, which is, I believe, the fifth largest state in the country for aerospace activity. Uh, Amy Hudnall is the Deputy Director of Georgia's Center for Innovation for Aerospace. She manages business outreach and workforce development programs and chairs the Alternative, uh, the Alternate Fields Working Group. She is also a, uh, a former, or maybe still uh, says as an Air Force officer, I guess she was a former in the Air Force. We'd like to thank her for her service to this country, as I do every person who has served in the U.S. military. We also have uh, Steve Justice, who is director of Georgia Center for Innovation in Aerospace, who's responsible for a, a really wide-ranging program to offer the technical industry expertise, collaborative research, and partnerships to help the industry connect, compete, and grow. Welcome, Amy, to the show. Thank you for being with us. And, Steve, I'd like to go to you and uh, just a quick question for you. Can you tell us a little bit about the Georgia Center for Innovation for Aerospace? Yes, I can tell you that we're a, a program of the Georgia Department of Economic Development. Uh, we're part of the Centers of Innovation. Innovation. It's six centers, aerospace, agribusiness, energy, IT, logistics, and manufacturing. It was created about eight years ago in our state uh, because we – we knew that we had key industries in our state and we needed to focus on innovation of those industries to grow jobs. Uh, uh, the Department of Economic Development is focused on recruitment of new companies to our state and that's very important. That's what we call pouring jobs into the top of the glass. But the Centers of Innovation, we're a little different. We focus on the companies that are already here in the state, that already have roots here. And we work with them to help them grow, connect them with resources in our state, be it our, our colleges, our technical colleges, uh, other companies, uh, whatever resources they need to help them to grow and to create more jobs in the state. So my focus as director of the aerospace side is, of course, on the aerospace industry, and uh, we're blessed to have a very large and uh, dynamic industry in the state of Georgia. Yes, you clearly, uh, you clearly do have a large industry in the state. Uh, Amy, um, what is your role as deputy director at the center? I don't know if Amy's still with us. We may have lost a connection here. Well, Steve, we'll we'll uh, we'll get back with you. Um, if you could share with us, uh, with our listeners, a little bit about how has the aerospace industry grown in uh, in Georgia, and how many jobs are we really talking about? Well, we've seen some 
pretty dramatic growth in our industry. Um, the, one of the statistics I like to quote is that since the Great Recession started in 2008, uh, we didn't see a downturn in our industry in aerospace. Our worst year, uh, we were flat in job growth. We, we just were, had a flat year. But mostly we've been seeing very modest growth every year since 2008 in the percent to a percent and a half range. Uh, but the other thing that's happened is we've seen tremendous growth in our international exports. Our companies have become more efficient. Uh, over the last 10 years, we've seen our international exports of aerospace parts, engine parts, aircraft parts, whole aircraft. Uh, 10 years ago, we were at $3.3 billion. Now we're at $8.2 billion. Uh, so our companies have done a tremendous job in increasing their efficiencies and becoming more global uh, to help offset some of the some of the negatives we saw during the recession. So we've done a very good job. We've got over 500 companies in the state, uh, over 88,000 people that are directly employed in aerospace. Uh, and and let me uh, define what we mean by aerospace. Uh, sometimes mm-hmm. we just talk about aerospace manufacturing, but we have kind of a mantra here that you build the vehicle once. You operate and maintain it for sometimes 20, 30 years after that. So we look at the whole life cycle of aerospace from the research and development to the manufacturing, the testing, the operation, and the sustainment of it because uh, you have to keep those airplanes running for a long time. And there's a lot of manufacturing activity goes on in what we call maintenance, repair, and overhaul, the sustainment of the aircraft. So we're very strong in that as well. And I, I'm just going to jump in that uh, sure. last week Steve and I had the had the opportunity to attend um, the 60th anniversary of the first delivery of a C-130 at Lockheed Martin. So um, that's a great example that on the on the commercial side you're going to maintain those aircraft for a long time, but on the military side we go well beyond the 20 or 30 years. Um, that is one of my favorite aircraft. I am actually uh, in the Atlanta area, so I have been down on the Lockheed uh, base down at Dobbins and been able to walk inside a, a C-130, impressive aircraft. Uh, it just takes such a payload and gets it off the ground. It's incredible. Um, it's, uh, Amy, uh, could you give our listeners kind of a feel for what you do as a deputy director at uh, the center? Well, the we have... It's a small group, so pretty much everybody does a little bit of everything. Um, I would joke and say I do what what spills over out of Steve's cup, <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, I we work a lot with business outreach. We work with um, t- trying to help uh, companies get the right workforce. One of the things that has come up in our um, discussions with industry over and over again is the need for a strong educational pipeline that includes STEM subjects at an early age to get the right kind of workforce coming in. So science, technology, engineering, and math is a, is a key um, component in our schools. We do a lot to help uh, schools um, get speakers and things like that. We've, we've, we've even run an aerospace STEM institute for a couple of years bringing teachers in during the summer for a couple of days of intense information about the aerospace industry, the kinds of jobs that are available, and um, how to use aerospace themes to teach the Georgia performance standards in math and science. So that's been a very uh, positive program. 
Amy, that uh, we've has come up on on the show several times. Uh, it is a need all over the country, and I'm glad that the center is is helping to provide in, uh, that need and fill that need. Uh, Lou, uh, we've been uh, involved uh, with the government in manufacturingday.com. Uh, are you too familiar with that by any chance? Just just lightly. <laughs> Yeah, they have uh, an annual event once a year. It's the first Friday in October. Uh, they're trying to address the issues of gray hairs uh, leaving the industry and uh, bringing in new people into manufacturing and get them accustomed to the idea that manufacturing isn't all about uh, greasy fingernails and uh, metal chips on the floor. Um, and this past year was, the, I believe, the third year that they did it. Uh, and what it was is that they got companies from every state in the union to open up their doors to students, to schools, uh, teachers, and so on, and have the, a day, the manufacturing day, at their plant to get a vision of what manufacturing is really all about today. And the past, this past year, they had over 100,000 people participating. Uh, Manufacturing Talk Radio is uh, one of the sponsors uh, of this program, along with the National Institute, uh, I'm sorry, the National Association of Manufacturers, Fabrication, Machining Association, and uh, others. Uh, You might want to look into it. It might prove to be interesting for you to uh, talk to some of those people for some of your uh, educational activities. And, Uh, you know, you bring up a great point that – you know, where we, we've been in the aerospace industry, we haven't spent any time in formal education. So, so many of our education professionals have, have been in education their entire careers, and they haven't really had an opportunity to get out into industry. And that um, is a great thing to help them understand the jobs and to understand the complexity um, of the jobs that are available. And I always tell this story about we had a, a Aerospace STEM Institute, and our part, our friends at Timco Aviation, which is now Hayco, had um, hosted a tour of their plant. And the thing that got all the cameras out, all the iPads out, taking pictures, was one of the technicians doing algebra. And the teachers were so excited <laughs> to have that and to take pictures and to take it back to their classroom and say, "Yes, you really will use algebra, and this is why." <laughs> <laughs> I just recently found a use for my college French, and I will tell you it's been 40 years since I took college French. <laughs> well, you don't need a slide rule anymore either. <laughs> I'm sure there's an app for it. Uh, but, you might, again, you might want to look into that. It is manufacturingday.com. Uh, if you want any additional information when we're offline, you can get in touch with us, and we'll be happy to connect you to some of the uh uh, representative people involved in that. That's Tim? great. Thank you. Amy, yeah, in to fact, hear it's, what it's very timely. Oh, excuse me, it's very timely because I'm speaking to you today from the uh, we're having our governor's manufacturing appreciation luncheon uh, at the Georgia International Convention Center in College Park, right across from our, our busiest airport in the world, Hartsville Jackson. And the governor was uh, uh, talking at luncheon today about uh, the importance of workforce and the programs we have in the state. Uh, we have an uh, expanded program with our technical college systems. 
we have now we have a, a program in Georgia called Hope Scholarships, where high school students uh, that graduate from our our Georgia high schools uh, get uh, 90, up to 90 percent, depending on their grades, of their tuition paid for colleges and technical colleges. Well, through the governor's efforts of, with industry, they've identified 11 uh, areas where there's a great need for people uh, in the manufacturing sector. Uh, and for those 11 areas, uh, you can, a student can receive 100% of their tuition to be paid uh, so that we can pump out students that are trained in the right areas to fit the needs of the industry. So it, it's great that in our state we have the support all the way from the governor down to work with industry and to be you know, focused on workforce needs for the industry. Uh, I'm just wondering, will they take in anybody at the age of 70 to uh, participate in this free educational program? Depends on how your grades are. <laughs> oh, you're still, still talking about my grades, are you? <laughs> well, all right, I guess I'll stick to metals and uh, radio. <laughs> Amy, what schools in Georgia does the center work with? What schools? We work mm -hmm. with, you mean... We work with the Department of Education, so we okay. worked with um, the Department of Education most recently on an effort to um, update the aviation curriculum that's taught in Georgia high schools. I think we have four high schools this year teaching aviation under the DOE curriculum and, a and an additional school coming online next fall. We work with um, the University System of Georgia, so the 32 um, educational institutes around the state, private universities like Mercer, and the Technical College System of Georgia. So we've, we've been involved with all of those. Clearly doing a great job. Steve, I see that you're a member of the Georgia Institute of Technology School of Aerospace Engineering, their advisory council, and also with the Georgia Southern. Um, are they active working with you folks and uh, putting out people for the aerospace industry? How's that going? Oh, we're very active. Uh, Georgia Tech uh, is the largest engineering uh, school in the country. The aerospace engineering uh, school at Georgia Tech is the largest in the country. Uh, it's a great honor to be on the advisory board for that. Uh, it's an industry board uh, made up of folks from Georgia, but also outside of Georgia, folks, uh, folks from like the, uh, the Jet Propulsion Laboratory and other uh, high-profile companies. And uh, uh, Georgia Tech and the aerospace program uh, is highly ranked. It's one of the top-ranked programs in the world. Uh, and we have uh, almost 1,500 students just in aerospace alone. So, so that is a great advantage to our companies here to have that that department. And they do uh, almost 40 million dollars in aerospace-focused research every year that uh, industry can tie into. And we have uh, a, a number of different programs. We have Lockheed Martin, Boeing, Northrop Grumman, Gulfstream. Uh, Pratt & Whitney, Rolls-Royce that have joint laboratories uh, on campus with the aerospace engineering program. But that's only part of the picture. We have uh, four other engineering programs across the state. Georgia Southern has a new engineering program. It's just a couple of years old, uh, and they've done a fantastic job. They have over 2,000 students now in that program, and they're located uh, more in the coastal area of the state serving that region. Uh, but they have uh, have a great relationship with Gulfstream Aerospace, one of our big aerospace manufacturers. 
We have an engineering program, a new program at the University of Georgia. We have uh, uh, Southern Polytechnic and State University, which is now merging with Kennesaw State University on the north side of Atlanta. And so that engineering program, long established, but now has a minor program in aerospace. Uh, and then Mercer University, Amy alluded to, uh, they have a, a great engineering program in the middle of our state, and they have uh, their Mercer Engineering Research Center, which is in Warner Robins, Georgia, which sits just outside of the Robins Air Force Base, which uh, has is one of three centers in the Air Force for the sustainment of uh, United States Air Force aircraft, and they do a lot of research and support of the Air Force and that mission uh, there. So we have a lot going on with our our university system and a lot of uh, joint programs where we bring industry to the researchers and we even have uh, programs where we contribute small amounts of money uh, to help bring companies together with the university researchers to help the bring the technology out of the lab and into the company and finally into the marketplace and that's been very successful for us. Talking about uh, futures and technology and such uh, I know that uh, Georgia is also experiencing, aside from commercial and defense uh, aviation, uh, they're also involved in unmanned aircraft and uh, uh, space travel, the space market. Can you tell us a little bit about that? I'm kind of a space yeah, can. One myself. Of the Oh, well, you'll like what we're doing in Georgia. Uh, one of the things we do at the center uh, is, is – we have a dual mission. We have to support the industry that's already here, but we also look out five, ten years and say, what are the new things that are coming in aerospace that, that we need to be ready for as a state? So back in 2009, even before I joined the center, uh, we held a Unmanned Aircraft Systems, or UAS, uh, leadership some, uh, summit. We brought together folks from industry, academia, state government, uh, to talk about that emerging area of unmanned aircraft and what we need to do as a state to be able to be a leader in that. Uh, from that, we created our UAS working group, which is a state-level group that meets quarterly, made up of all the stakeholders, and I have to say our FAA friends have been part of that from day one and have been extremely cooperative uh, uh, with us in that. And we've been working with companies, connecting them with our universities. We've, had, we've funded a number of different projects uh, to keep the technology moving, to get operational experience. And all this was to, to help our companies be ready so when the FAA finally said, yes, you can do commercial operations, that our companies would be ready, they had some operational experience, they had the technology, and they'd be ready to move out. And we're happy to, to say that two of our companies just in the last couple of weeks, uh, Phoenix Air and BSG, have received uh, approvals from the FAA to start commercial operations. Uh, so we think that's that's been very successful. Uh, on the space side, uh, we've gone down the same path with uh, the space uh, companies. Uh, we've looked at that. With space has been something that's traditionally been focused around NASA uh, and the NASA centers. So if you wanted to have a space company, your main customer was NASA, you would locate near one of their centers, be it in Florida or Virginia, uh, Alabama, or in Texas. Uh, but with commercial space, now NASA's getting out of the role of being uh, the purveyor of, of items and people to low-Earth orbit. They're going to buy that commercially now. They're looking in deep space now. So they're using companies like SpaceX, Boeing, Lockheed Martin to provide those commercial services. So now that 
since we have a large aerospace industry in the state and the skills that we use for aviation are very transferable to the space side of the house, we think this has opened up the market for us. So we have uh, programs we're working with a lot of startup companies here in the state. We have several companies working on new horizontal launch capabilities uh, to to launch small satellites, uh, less than 100 pounds, uh, into orbit. Uh, We're working with a number of companies both on the launching side of it, the satellite side of it. Uh, We're working with uh, our coastal Georgia friends who are looking at a potential spaceport uh, on the coast of Georgia. Uh, So we have a lot of activities going on in the space to prepare ourselves to grow in that area. Amy, when it comes to uh, alternate fuels, I know having seen some of the television shows when they're testing alternate fuels and they prove that a Mercedes can run on recycled grease from restaurants, uh, what are they planning on aircraft running on when you talk about alternate fuels? Well, um, we speak broadly about um, alternate fuels, and, and it, you know, and over the past several years there's been a lot of interest in a variety of biomass or algae-based fuels. Um, At the moment, it's not very scalable. So for a company like Delta that uses over a billion gallons of fuel at Hartsfield-Jackson alone, um, they need it to be as affordable as um, our our petroleum-based fuels are now. As fuel costs have gone down, the the alternate fuels uh, efforts around around this have, have kind of slowed down a little bit too. But Steve would probably tell you that the, the next big push in, in alternative um, energy would be electric aircraft. Oh, that's interesting. Steve, is that literally dragging batteries along the ground? That could take a lot of juice. <laughs> well, electric aircraft is, is going to be really the next wave of development, especially in general aviation. If you look at general aviation in our country, uh, it has had a specialized fuel, what we call 100 low lead, uh, which does not meet the specs uh, for emissions uh, such as uh, the ground-based fuels do. So there's been a big push to get rid of 100 low lead uh, because it's a specialty fuel. It doesn't meet the emission standards. It costs more. It's more than twice to three times the cost of the fuel you put in your car. So with electric technology moving forward in the automobile side, uh, we're going to see electric technology move into first general aviation and then keep moving up the size spectrum of aircraft until you, you reach commercial applications. There's a number of companies throughout the world who are looking at um, electric aircraft, and they truly would be hybrid aircraft. They would use combination of, uh, of hydrocarbon fuel, driving a generator on board with batteries, solar panels. Uh, you have the solar impulse aircraft in Europe, which is running solely off a uh, uh, solar energy, and they plan a around-the-world flight. Uh, You're going to see fuel cells. So you're going to see a lot of different technologies coalesce onto aircraft. Uh, They'll be truly hybrid, and uh, a lot of the challenge is going to be to manage the energy on the aircraft. So which which source should I use now? Is the sun out? Can I use some solar? Well, the sun's out. Maybe I'll use this fuel cell. Well, maybe we need to use the battery at this moment. So it's going to tie in with automated control systems, uh, a number of different technologies, and it's going to tie in with unmanned systems as well because most of the unmanned systems, especially small ones, are electric. As we get more experience with flying that, 
uh, it's going to transfer over into the manned side, and especially the automated systems. Uh, even Cirrus aircraft now has a has a red button on the on the dash that if you get disoriented in the aircraft, you can hit the button and the autopilot will take over. Well, if we have unmanned aircraft who can fly themselves, fly autonomously, we can transfer that technology into the general aviation aircraft to make them safer and to bring that accident rate down. So there's a lot of uh, technologies across different areas, be it general aviation, unmanned systems, electrics, uh, biofuels, that are all going to come together over the next decade. We're going to see dramatic change in in, uh, how we fly, especially at 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 the general aviation side of the house. So let me ask you a question, Steve. Now that the United States has now become the number one producer of natural gas and uh, petroleum fuels, uh, should I sell all my stocks now? And uh, <laughs> being that we're number one, we're going to create a glut, and the price of oil is going to go down to fifteen, twenty dollars a barrel. And I hope uh, Wall Street's not listening because they're liable to hear this and take a tank on the uh, on, on the street today. So is this going well, to be uh, a major factor? I think the uh, the market for petroleum uh, fuels is, is kind of like the weather in Georgia. If you don't like it today, just wait. It's going to change. Um, <laughs> and we've seen that. We've, we've seen great volatility uh, just in the last few years. All of us remember paying almost $4 a gallon for fuel just, just a handful of years ago. And now it's much less. So uh, that's one of the factors that if you're in the airline business, uh, the volatility of the cost of fuel and the supply of it is really the main factor. Uh, you like to have consistency because uh, if you're an airline, if you're a Delta Airlines and you're you're doing your ticket pricing, sometimes you're selling those tickets a month in advance, a few months in advance. Uh, and if you have fuel prices going up and down dramatically during that period, you can either make a lot of money or lose a lot of money. Uh, so what airlines want is they want that consistency of supply and price. And so I think what you're going to see is that uh, with the United States producing more, that's going to help in that area. It's not as uh, uh, affected by uh, things that happen in the Middle East. Um, and aviation is going to be one of the last places that probably uh, using fossil fuels because uh, we can't go nuclear. We can't go wind. That's counterproductive. Um, uh Solar, we're going to see bits of that, but we don't have the technology yet to fly aircraft completely on solar. So you just can't beat the energy density of fossil fuels. And for aircraft, uh, energy density is key because for every pound of fuel you carry, uh, you add another pound to pound and a half of structure and other systems to carry it. So uh, we're going to be using fossil fuels, especially in our large commercial aircraft, for the foreseeable future. Uh, but we're going to see other technologies starting to erode away and, and to improve uh, fuel efficiency itself uh, as we as we move forward. So don't don't give up on your on your uh, fuel stocks yet. <laughs> All right. Um, while we're talking about futures, let me go another ten or twenty years past today into the future and talk about uh, ramjet technology. Uh, I've just read a recent report. You're talking about uh, Japan to London, four hours, uh, using ramjet technology at uh, traveling at 3,500 miles per hour. Um, Are you up on that at all? Is Georgia involved in that yet, or is it too far off the radar scope? 
Well, most of that research is being done at the university level uh, and at the government level, uh, like NASA. Georgia Tech, they do have a, uh, a supersonic hypersonic uh, tunnel that they use in their research facility for doing basic research in this area. Um, people have been postulating this for a number of years. Uh, there's lots of issues, as, as you note, that uh, we uh, retired the Concorde, the only supersonic airliner, a number of years ago. There's been no replacement for that. Uh, it's not just a technology problem. It's an operational problem. Uh, when you operate an airline, uh, a lot of how you make money is keeping those airplanes operating as much as possible. An airline will operate uh, a 737 12 to 14 hours a day. So the speed of the aircraft has to be matched to the route. Uh, for overseas travel, you want to be able to fly overseas, drop off that load of customers, pick up the next load, and take them back. So the timing uh, is very important uh, to be able to get more trips in in a day. Uh, so going faster uh, sometimes doesn't make sense because it doesn't meet the, the scheduling requirements of the airline. So it's a match of the technology to give you the speed with the operational uh, needs of the airline in terms of scheduling and, and getting passengers to use that vehicle. Uh, and then making it big enough because when you go faster, you burn more fuel. You have to you spend more money on that fuel. You need a bigger vehicle. If you need a bigger vehicle, you burn more fuel, and you get in a cycle. So, it's finding that sweet spot for high-speed travel. Uh, one of our companies, Gulfstream Aerospace uh, in Savannah, Georgia, has been working on supersonic aircraft for a number of years, working with uh, NASA. Uh, and the Lockheed Martin Skunk Works on what we call low-boom aircraft, uh, aircraft that could fly supersonically over land, which is not allowed today. Uh, but you couldn't hear them. They would have a very tailored design to reduce the sonic boom signature that you'd hear at ground level. Uh, they've been working on that, and it's, it's my belief that the first high-speed supersonic vehicle will be a business jet, uh, and we may see that in the next five to ten years. Mm -hmm. So we need to get uh, the Indian population and the Chinese population to be in the upper middle class so that they could travel more, so we could load up those uh, ramjet airplanes. Customers is always the the number one thing when you're when you're uh, this, providing a transportation service like airlines. This is true, Tim. We're going to take a quick commercial break, and we are going to be back with Steve Justice, who is director of Georgia's Center of Innovation and Aerospace, and Amy Hudnell, who is the deputy director, a fascinating conversation about aerospace in the southeast and particularly in Georgia. So let's take a commercial break, and we'll be back shortly with Manufacturing Talk Radio. Manufacturing Talk Radio will be right back. How do you keep your business humming? Where do you go when you're looking for quality suppliers of new equipment? Components, MRO supplies, repair services, or even raw materials. 30 years ago, you would have turned to the Thomas Register. Today, those big green books are better than ever at thomasnet.com, industry's leading platform for product sourcing and supplier discovery. You can easily find that local machine shop, national distributor, OEM, or any supplier having the right quality certification. Fast and free. You can even get to specific products, components, or downloadable 3D CAD drawings simply by entering specifications or part numbers. There's a reason ThomasNet.com has become the go-to supplier discovery tool for procurement professionals and engineers. There's simply no other resource like it, and it's all free. 
Go to thomasnet.com today and see how top-notch supplier discovery doesn't have to put a dent into your bottom line. American Crane and Equipment Corporation in Douglasville, Pennsylvania is a leader in specialized cranes, hoists, and material handling equipment for industries including aerospace, nuclear, oil and gas, transit, construction, and waste handling. Call 877-877-6778 or visit AmericanCrane.com. That's AmericanCrane.com or 877-877-6778. All Metals and Forge Group is an ISO 9001 AS and EN 9100 manufacturer of open die forgings and seamless rolled rings in alloy, carbon, stainless and tool steels, aluminum, copper, titanium, and nickel alloys. Visit us at steelforge.com or call 800-600-9290. Welcome back to Manufacturing Talk Radio. I'd like to welcome our listeners back to Manufacturing Talk Radio. We're here with Steve Justice, who is Director of Georgia's Center of Innovation for Aerospace, and Amy Hudnell, who's the Deputy Director. And Amy, I'd like to go to you uh, quickly and and then to Steve. Uh, We have been hearing that there's about 40,000 aircraft scheduled to be built over the next 20 years. Uh, 20,000 in China, uh, not necessarily all for a, for the Chinese. Uh, Boeing is building aircraft in China. And 20,000 built elsewhere around uh, the globe. Amy, do you have any feel how many of those aircraft will be produced in Georgia? We, we don't produce any large commercial aircraft in Georgia, um, but the need for the new aircraft is going to be huge. Um, many of these aircraft are going to are being replaced. So we're so along the alternate energy uh, theme, we're working on having more energy efficient air, airplanes and having lighter, um, lighter, more efficient airplanes. You know, using more composites. Um, a lot of this kind of research is being done at Georgia Tech, at Middle Georgia State College that we work with, has an applied research institute that has a whole composites program. And, um, you know, we're seeing some transition between people who are completing an engineering degree at Georgia Tech and then perhaps coming down to Middle Georgia State College to get their certificate in composites to help them understand the need for this. So I think Georgia's play is going to be on the research and development side and the, um, in, in how to build these airplanes. Obviously, as Steve is mentioning with, with Gulfstream, I mean, that is a wealth of information there. Gulfstream is a leader in the business jet um, sector, and um, they, I think they're going to they're going to have a lot to offer. But as far as commercial airlines, not so much. Now, Steve, I guess what I'm hearing then that there are sectors. There's commercial aircraft, there's business aircraft, and there's military aircraft. Is there are there more sectors than that, or are those the three main ones? Uh, the three main ones, and, and I'll uh, you know, further talk about the commercial aircraft, that when you look at the Boeings and Airbuses of the world today and, and where they have their final assembly building, I, I spent a lot of time, especially in Airbus, uh, in Europe with their final assembly uh, facilities, there's really only a few hundred people at the final assembly building. Uh, what you have is that you have parts and major uh, aerostructures, the wings, parts of the fuselage, the nose, 
come to the assembly buildings, as we call, fully stuffed. They already have all the subsystems and all those things in them. So, so the production of airliners is truly global, and we have companies such as Triumph Aerostructures in Milledgeville, Georgia, in middle Georgia, uh, that builds very large uh, components, wings, other fuselage components for Boeing and Airbus and, and now Embraer uh, in Brazil. And so a lot of those components will be coming from Georgia. Uh, our engine companies that we have, we have Pratt Whitney here, but we also have companies like PCC Airfoils and TECT down in Thomasville, uh, down South Georgia, that make lots of uh, engine parts. So part of that $8.2 billion of exports we have is all these components and parts that we're sending uh, overseas uh, to these assembly facilities doesn't even count the ones that are going to Washington and other places for Boeing to, to build those. So we see that those 40,000 aircraft is a great opportunity for our suppliers and vendors here in Georgia to tie into that global supply chain. So uh, while the final assembly might not be in Georgia, there's going to be a lot of Georgia parts on board those airplanes. Uh, several weeks ago, Several weeks ago, we had a series of shows on 3D printing, the, the new old technology. It was invented in the 60s and is first coming into its own as we speak. Uh, presently, it's a $4 billion industry and expect to be um, $8 billion by 2020. Uh, I, we know that Boeing has about 20,000 uh, parts that are quote-unquote 3D printed or advanced manufacturing manufactured. Do you have much of a uh, 3D uh, industry there in Georgia yet? Oh, we, Georgia Tech has a, quite a bit of uh, capability in 3D printing. Uh, they even have 3D printers uh, in all the labs now for the students so they can get experience of working with uh, that technology because they know that's the technology they're going to experience when they move out into industry. Uh, our companies like Lockheed Martin, uh, like Delta Airlines, which you wouldn't think of 3D printing, are looking at this uh, because 3D printing is going to be important not just for the original manufacturing of the vehicle, but for the ongoing sustainment of that vehicle. When you think of aircraft, they are very large capital assets. They stay in service 20, 30 years. Uh, some of the, uh, the U.S. Air Force aircraft are staying in service 60, 70 years. Look at the B-52 bomber, still in service. So the ability to use 3D printing to reverse engineer parts when you have, you maybe only need a handful of parts uh, for some legacy aircraft. The ability to re-engineer that part, produce it, at a very low production level to meet the exact specifications or better of that original part, that is going to be critical to keeping uh, legacy aircraft flying. So there's, there's two parts to that equation, improving the original manufacturing, but keeping them flying over the long term. And I think that's going to be uh, one of the things we're going to see. So we have companies here that are interested in it, both from the manufacturing and sustainment side of it. Um, all our universities are getting into it. Uh, so as the technology progresses, we'll be ready for that. I would I would just tag in. I was at the Aerospace Systems Design Lab at Georgia Tech yesterday afternoon, and uh, Dr. Kelly Greenling was showing me one of a very a small, maybe maybe a foot and a half, two feet sized UAV that was printed entirely on um, the 3D printer. 
incredible what they're doing with them. Uh, we watch uh, 3D printing developing around the United States, and as Lou said, had a couple of shows on it. It's just a fascinating technology. We're, we're going to be very excited to see uh, where it goes. Uh, in terms of what is up and coming in uh, events about aerospace in Georgia. Is that something that the center keeps track of and publicizes? Amy, I'll, I'll go to you first and, and then maybe to Steve, if, uh, unless you've got the information. We we do try to um, keep up with all of the things that are going on. We have a couple of major events coming up next month with um, the Smart Airports Conference at Hartsfield-Jackson and um, the Association of Unmanned Vehicle Systems International is having their international conference in, here in Georgia the 4th to the 7th of May. Um, and the, our team will be exhibiting, um, bringing together our companies within the state to come and exhibit and hosting, hosting some events. So those are two things that are coming up right now. We have put a lot of effort into... Um, collecting things for our aerospace update and our website. I have to give a call out to our um, team in Macon that is um, we have a couple of interns from Middle Georgia State College, and they have been working with us to try to, to, to be more effective in our outreach and get more input from the aerospace companies and aerospace organizations around the state. So we keep up with it on a, on a statewide level and also keep people informed about what's going on nationally. Uh, I'd like to throw a quick plug in for MFG Talk Radio, and that is that uh, Tim and I take our show on the road. We've been invited to multiple conferences, uh, trade shows, and so on, where we have uh, broadcasted live from the exhibit floor, bringing to our market uh, interviews from uh, owners, presidents, uh, managers of manufacturing plants from many different uh, uh, walks of uh, business life. Uh, matter of fact, May uh, 3rd through 6th, we are going to be at the Institute of Supply Management in Phoenix for their 100th uh, anniversary. Uh, we were there last year, and they wanted us back this year. Uh, actually, they gave us... Uh, Booth number 739 is a 20 by 30 booth. I'm not sure how Tim and I are going to fill it, but uh, we hope to be filling it in with uh, guests and interviewees. So I pass it on that we do take our show on the road, and uh, anybody wants to talk about uh, conferences or broadcasting live uh, around the country, uh, let us know by email. Uh, back to you, Tim. Steve, I'd like to go to you for a moment because, as I say, we have talked on the show, several previous shows, about the need in industry for um, uh, skilled employees coming out of either high school, community colleges, associate degree, two-year schools, or four-year schools moving into manufacturing. How do you folks make the connect both with students and technology between the industry and the educational area? Well, it's very important for us at the state level to listen, uh, to listen to the needs of the company, um, to find out where they're going, not just today, but where they're going to be five years now. Because you think about that, uh, that high school student that's about to graduate, he has a four- or five-year college career before he even would emerge out the other side, uh, ready for industry to, to hire that person. So 
you can't look at just today's needs. You need to be far looking. You need to look at five, ten years out. Uh, those kids are just entering uh, in, in elementary school. That's in the 16 years if you look at some of that. So we need to look at the jobs that we need today, the jobs we see on the horizon, and then connect industry with our educational system top to bottom, K through 12, our technical colleges, and, and the universities. Um, we, and when I say we, I really mean Amy, who's on the, on the, the uh, phone here with us today, do a lot in this area of trying to connect um, all those levels together. We have a lot of great activities going on in STEM education, in our universities, technical college systems, and, and industry. We have industry that they know this is the important thing for them to do, and they have their own STEM uh, programs uh, at their companies. Right. But a lot of times those are siloed. They don't talk to each other. So a lot of what we try to do at state level is get the various groups to, to know that each other exists, to get them to talk to each other. The governor initiated, initiated a high-demand uh, high uh, high career initiative where we went around the state talking to folks. And so a lot of us just getting that conversation going because if people know what the needs are, they know where the gaps are, uh, they're very excited about filling those gaps and meeting those needs. But if you don't know that need exists, it's, it's hard to, to do your program for that. And I think Amy can add a lot more to it. She's our expert in that area. Well, I'd say one one of the things that Steve said, we're listening and being aware of trends as as we see things occurring in different parts of the states and then trying to get people to share back and forth. I have to, I have to give kudos to Gulfstream um, has really embraced the whole pipeline, and they have a whole team of people that work with the schools. They have a program called Student Leadership Program where they um, bring students in. They mentor the kids after school. They've put a lot of effort into it. They've expanded it from Savannah to Brunswick, and this year they're going to move it on to um, Appleton where they're planting Appleton. They really see the need for a, a pipeline for kids to see what the opportunities are in airspace, what you need to do to get there, and Gulfstream's helping them do it. The other side, that's the very big company in a very big effort. Another company that we work with a lot is PCC um, Airfoils, and they are in a smaller community. They can't bring in as many interns into their facility, but they worked with their whole community to um, have STEM internships across the summer for kids across their community. So they got a lot of different companies to accept one or two interns, and they've built that program up, expanding more each year. So start where they, you know, the industry here is very proactive. Start where you are and, and do what you can. Um, but sharing the ideas and the best practices is, is a big part of where we we fit in. And is that... Uh not to uh, give away the keys to the kingdom, something that you have shared or would think about sharing with uh, the Carolinas or Alabama or other states around the country? Well, I think we all learn from each other. Certainly certainly, each state has their um, strong points and um, is doing a lot of different things. So, you know, I, we don't we don't have much opportunity to sit down and interact, but I think we certainly learn from each other, and and we work with large groups like the Aerospace States Association, um, that that are exa about exactly that, using best practices across the states um, to strengthen the industry nationwide. 
Steve, I know you were involved with the F-22 Raptor. Are you uh, familiar with what kind of growth the uh, military aircraft uh, space is going to see here in Georgia? Well, we've seen a lot of talk about the defense budgets, and, of course, we know the defense budgets have gone down uh, due to sequestration uh, and other budget pressures. But uh, the thing I've noted that even in the current budget, there's, all, there's about $39 billion in the Defense Department budget uh, about aircraft. Now, what we're seeing in aircraft is that we're having fewer and fewer programs uh, where we have, may, may have in the 10, 15, 20 years ago have seen multiple fighter programs, multiple transport programs. We're going to see maybe one of each at this point. The F-35 is going to be the fighter program for the United States uh, for the foreseeable future. And Lockheed Martin... Uh, in Marietta, Georgia, builds uh, the center uh, wing box, the center structure for that vehicle uh, in Marietta. So we have a big part of that. Uh, the only military transport production in the United States now is going to be the C-130, made in Marietta, Georgia again. So uh, we see no end to that program. It's, as we talked about earlier, it's 60 years and uh, going strong at this point. It may be the 100-year aircraft program, and that's just astounding to even think about that. Uh, and then we have things like the trainer program, TX, that's coming along, and the long-range strike bomber, uh, which we hope our companies can be parts of. So there's there's still a lot of opportunity in defense uh, for the new programs, but also in sustainment. We talked about Robbins Air Force Base, and we have the Warner Robbins Air Logistics Complex there. They take care of the C-130, C-5, C-17, the F-15s, Global Hawk, and the Predators, and U-2s, those aircraft, especially C-5, C-17, are going to be in service well past 2040. So there's going to be a lot of effort sustaining those aircraft, keeping them going, and we have uh, thousands of people working there in middle Georgia keeping those programs going. So there's still a lot of opportunity in, in defense, and Georgia's going to be a big part of that. Well, in, in terms of... Uh uh, thanking people for their military service, I also have to thank people for their uh, service in taking care of those military aircraft. Obviously, you can't have a very effective military if you don't have effective military aircraft and military equipment. So, we appreciate the, the years of service they put in uh, to help uh, you know keep America strong and keep America in a place where it can uh, fight for freedom throughout the world. Uh, Steve, is there anything else you would like to share with our guests as we get down to uh, kind of the last five minutes of our show that uh, with our listeners that they may want to uh, you know, come and visit your website, give out your website name, and anything that's happening that they should be aware of with the uh, Innovation for Aerospace? Well, Georgia is just a great place for aerospace. Uh, to take it at a very personal level, uh, I was born and raised in Georgia, educated at Georgia Tech, uh, worked most of my career here. And, and what I tell folks is that living in Georgia, working in aerospace in Georgia, I had the opportunity to work on the most advanced fighter aircraft in the world, the F-22. I worked on the most advanced business jets in the world, the Gulfstream series, when I worked there. Uh, I worked on the the C-130, which is the longest-lived military production program in history, uh, got to work for one of the, the leading airlines in the world, at Delta Airlines. So you can have a career in aerospace in Georgia and, and participate in some of the, the most dramatic things going on in our business. And when we look at what's happening in space and unmanned systems, that's even going to get more dynamic as we get into the next five to ten years. So Georgia is a great place for aerospace. Uh, 
we have all the institutions here from education. We have the great community of over 500 companies. And it's just a, a, a joy for, for us in the center to be working with this industry as we tell folks we have great material to work with. We don't have to embellish the story at all. It's a great story. And our website is aerospace.georgiainnovation.org, or you can just Google the Georgia Center of Innovation for Aerospace, and it'll take you there. And we've put a lot of effort into our website to make it a one-stop shop for information about the industry in Georgia. Uh, we have an aerospace directory there where you can you can go in and search on keywords. You can search on locations, zip codes, things like that. There's over 700 companies listed in that database, and it's to help uh, connect companies to each other and companies to customers. Uh, and that's a free service that uh, we allow Georgia companies to use. We have lots of news on the website. Uh, we want to uh, get the message out about aerospace in Georgia and what our companies to do because the best way to sell the state is to sell what our companies are doing and their success stories that they are doing these wonderful amazing things and they're able to do it in Georgia and I think that's that's the best sales pitch you could ever give Steve your passion is uh, terrific I appreciate that so I want to thank you for being uh, with us today and Amy do you have any uh, parting words for us um, I would like to say I have a, a, a project that I'm working on now. It's a Department of the Defense grant um, to look at aerospace and defense suppliers across the state. So many of those people are manufacturers, and that goes from you know people making the very small subassembly pieces, the widgets, to the people putting that are working on the C-130. So if you're in aerospace and defense supplier that has done work in Georgia, we'd like to hear from you, and you can reach us on our website. Thank you very much, Amy, and uh, being that we sell a lot of aerospace forgings, I may be in touch with you soon. Great. Uh, Tim? I think we're pretty much wrapping up for today. Um, Shortly, we should have this show up on our website so that you can go to mfgtalkradio.com and you can listen to this show or any of our previous shows. The entire library is there. And uh, we certainly appreciate our listeners tuning into this show. We think it has been incredibly informative. Uh, Amy and Steve, you both did a terrific job and really gave us a good, solid picture of what's happening in Georgia. Quite frankly, more than I knew was going on in Georgia, and I've been here for a decade. So uh, we really appreciate what you shared uh, to our, for our listeners here online. We will be back uh, next week with uh, our show with Manufacturing Talk Radio, and we look forward to hearing uh, from new guests and speaking with new listeners then. But that wraps us up for today, and we will be back next Tuesday with Manufacturing Talk Radio. Thanks for joining us on Manufacturing Talk Radio. You can hear our next broadcast each Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time at mfgtalkradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.